This episode is brought to you by an exclusive clip from the 2018 Explore More Summit. Here is Kavanaugh Quick. I don't feel rejected as a person when my partner doesn't like the same movies as me. But when they don't like the same sex as me, or when I say, I really want to go see this movie, and they're like, eh, I'm not all that interested. Why don't you take a friend? That doesn't feel like a rejection. But the minute I say, I really like this kind of sex, and they say, I'm actually really not interested in that, that can feel like a major earth-shattering rejection. And my, my question is, why? If you'd like to grab a spot, it is free to attend. Head to exploremoresummit.com. You're listening to You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. With Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. Hey, listeners. Oh, my God. Okay. I am so excited about so many things. First off, we did our live taping of Sex Gets Real to celebrate our 200th episode and the fact that the show is about to cross 4 million downloads. It was so much fun. So on an episode coming up in the next week or two, you will get to hear the live taping, which includes questions and answers and thoughts happening live in a group setting. It was so much fun to all of you who showed up. Thank you for helping me celebrate and for lending your wisdom and being a part of it all. It was amazing, and I think I want to do it again. I'm also really excited because Explore More is happening again in 2018, and this is one of my favorite things to create. There's going to be, I think, like 29 speakers starting April 23rd for 10 days, and it's totally free. If you sign up and you watch it on each of the days that the talks air, you not only get to see all of these amazing experts for free, but you also get free workbooks and to participate in community discussions around emotional intelligence and mental health and love and kink. Oh my God, it's going to be so rich and juicy and different this year. We're talking all about play and creativity and connection. So if you want to be a part of it, go to exploremoresummit.com and sign up. If you have signed up for previous summits, you do have to sign up again. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit that... um, A week or two ago, I had mentioned that I was doing a super soft launch, and then we found out that the website wasn't working. So if you have previously to now signed up for Explore More Summit 2018, if you signed up sometime in early March and you didn't get an email confirmation from me, then you probably need to sign up again. So I apologize for that. We caught it when it was too late, and oops, uh, Anyway, this episode is with Kristen Soleil, who is one of the founders of Sluttist, which you may have had had some chances to read online. Also, Kristen has a new book out called Witches, Sluts, Feminists, Conjuring the Sex Positive. And we had so much fun. A lot of you might not know that back in my early 20s, I was a practicing witch in a really tight-knit coven. It was one of the most profound experiences of healing of my life. And so reading this book just brought back so many memories of all of the studying that I used to do and the experiences with ritual and community that I had. But we also talk all about I don't know, things like cis men using the word slut and kind of what that means. And the fact that witch hunts and um, witch burnings and killings are still happening in the world today. Um, Why the phrase witches and now the phrase sluts and the phrase feminist are all used to weaponize against the feminine. It's a geek-tastic chat. So let me tell you all about Kristen, and then we will jump in. Also, Patreon listeners, 
Kristen and I, for our bonus chat, talk all about money as energy, which means money as power, and why sex workers are seen as so dangerous because of this power that they wield. You know, sex workers, Susie Q said this, but sex workers have the ability to um, make you hand over that money and that energy simply with the movement of their body. So there is tremendous, terrifying power in that. And so if you support at $3 or above on Patreon, you can hear that bonus chat and all of the other bonus chats. And a huge thank you. Somebody just pledged $50 a month to support the show. I literally screamed and ran around the house. They also are going to start getting um, free sex goodies from me because that's what you get when you support at that level. So head to patreon.com slash sex gets real if you want to hear the bonus chat with Kristen and or if you want to support the show. Even a dollar is amazingly helpful for me. So thank you. So Kristen Soleil is a lecturer at the New School and the founding editrix of Sluttist, a sex-positive site that delves into the intersections between sex, feminism, and the occult. Soleil's signature college course, The Legacy of the Witch, follows the witch across history, pop culture, and politics. From the Venus of Willendorf to the Love Witch, her critically acclaimed book, Witches, Sluts, Feminists, Conjuring the Sex Positive, was published by Stonebridge Press in 2017. So here is my chat with Kristen Soleil all about witches. Welcome to Sex Gets Real, Kristen. I am really excited to talk about witches, sluts, and feminists with you today. Thanks so much for having me. Me too. Yeah. So I just want to start. Listeners of the show may not know this because I don't talk about it a lot, but in my early 20s, I was in a coven that was probably one of the most important experiences of my entire life. Wow, I love that. Yeah. And so I, you know, back in the day, read like all the witchy books and went to all kinds of different pagan circles and witch mm. meetups and and finally found the one that worked for me and had this little coven that I was in for a few years. And it was it was some of the most profound healing that I've ever done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And reading your book just kind of brought, like, so many of the books you quote are books that I had read back in the day. Oh, yeah. So it just felt so, like, wonderful and familiar. And it also made me miss it so much. There's just so much wonderfulness in here. I'm so glad to hear that and that you have the experience because it's more fun to talk to someone who's been, you know, digging into the, the witchy <laughs> stuff for a while, you know? Yeah. It's not something I talk about very often. So ta-da. Hey, listeners, guess what? <laughs> You're a witch. <laughs> I was in a coven. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It's the, the evolution of my relationship with that word, you know, it certainly changed. Like it was my core identity for a long time. Wow, yeah. And uh, it's not a word that I've used for myself in a long time, but it's a it's a space that I love and respect deeply for the possibilities that it offers. And I think that's so much what your book is about. Like, not only that witches, sluts, and feminists are kind of the vilification of women and all the things that they represent that's kind of anti-patriarchy, but also... Right the place to find healing and community and like, um, wisdom about self. Absolutely. And that was one of the reasons I even wrote it for my own purposes, my selfish purposes <laughs> of, you know, spending so much time within those communities and with my own communities, which are part of that larger circle and how those three circles intersect, you know, there was like, it was wonderful to just get to interview so many like dozens of people from all walks of life who either identify as witches, sluts, or feminists, or all three. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I would love for us to start with where you kind of started with the book. And you you opened with this sentiment that the names and the punishments might have changed over the years, but so many of the oppressive attitudes and behaviors towards women from the earliest witch hunts uh, still persist today. And Absolutely, yeah. I'd love for you to just kind of explain to listeners a little bit some of the threads that you've seen that are being kind of carried across generations, even as the language changes. Absolutely. Well, you still see um, women and uh, non-binary folks and trans folks fighting for bodily autonomy, particularly folks on the feminine spectrum. 
you know, um, you still see people, uh, women in particular, again, uh, persecuted for their perceived or actual sexual expression, no matter what they do, really. It's just all a matter of perception. If you perceive a woman as being too slutty, being too forward, being too scantily clad, or not, um, you know, offering herself up enough, it's all in the realm of something that's allowed to be judged in our culture mm. and persecuted. And that's been the case for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's different than the witch, witch persecutions. We're not, um, you know, hanging hundreds of thousands of women right now, mm -hmm. but these same attitudes and beliefs, a lot of uh, really deeply misinformed beliefs often propagated by like patriarchal religions, okay. um, patriarchal government uh, is still at the root of the issues we're, we're facing today. Ugh. And and I think even manifest in interesting ways, like when we think about people who have been cast as witches or sluts in, you know, throughout the ages, like midwives mm -hmm. who had power and knowledge that often many men didn't have or right. um, sex workers who were always labeled as whores and sluts, you know, even today. Um, right. You know, it, it's really interesting because listeners know I just attended a medical conference recently. And mm -hmm. one of the things that just like killed me was that there was like 20 sessions on how heterosexual cis women have the highest rates of like sexual pain, sexual dissatisfaction, and the lowest rates of like pleasure and orgasm. And that lesbian and queer women have like the highest rates of sexual satisfaction and the highest rates of orgasm, but they couldn't connect those two. They, it was like, they were two separate silos. <laughs> That's was just, ridiculous. <laughs> which is ridiculous to have like rooms full of doctors and psychologists not able to kind of see like, um, you, these pieces fit together. <laughs> we can, you know, and like, I, I saw that so much in what you were talking about around, um, just kind of witches, sluts and feminists and this, I don't know, just kind of like the the mystery narrative and the power narrative and the ways that even today in medicine, like female pleasure is mysterious and misunderstood yeah. and women can't be trusted. And so it's it's like we see it even in places where we think we shouldn't. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the medico religious establishment was what was driving the witch hunts. And it seems today like the, that connection between the government and the medical establishment, <laughs> you know, how they're in cahoots as well. That's what's yeah. driving so much of the, um, the problems we're facing today too. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely yeah. true. Something else that like I've been geeking out a lot about lately and I'm just so, it's a place where I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and kind of grappling with and, and it came up so much in every like instance that was in your book was there's this like deep fear of the feminine run wild. Mm -hmm. There's like fear that if women and feminine folks just kind of were let loose without restriction, everything in sight would be gobbled up in the world as we knew it would be destroyed, which frankly would be awesome. But for masculine <laughs> folks, that's terrifying. I know. And so kind of this like, I've been examining how like every definition of masculinity is just simply a rejection of everything that is feminine. Pretty much. Yeah. Right. And so kind of like this, to cast women as a witch or a slut is to weaponize all the things that masculinity is just inherently terrified of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so as you were just kind of like thinking about femininity and the ways it's been weaponized, what are some of the things that either like surprised you or that um, were connections that you kind of were just like, whoa, that makes so much sense as you were doing the research and talking to people? Like where were some of your big aha moments? Hmm. There were so many. Um, <laughs> Let me see. I, I w I'm really interested in how um, the uh, satanic woman has been crafted through the origin story of Adam and Eve and how that still pervades our consciousness today, even if you're like, I don't identify as a Christian or a Jew or something, you know, mm -hmm. like that origin story cast women as the, the cause of humankind's downfall. And like from that, you get more and more insidious, more and more fear of 
the feminine and fear of women desiring knowledge or power and just the way that gets, like you said, weaponized, but for a whole host of reasons that seem really unrelated, like, you know, governments just wanting to shore up their power. Okay, what can we do? Who can we scapegoat? Women. You know, <laughs> it's just like, it's not really a direct correlation, you would think, just all these different ways. Or like the medical establishment, they're like, hmm, midwives are not licensed healers. So even if we don't really believe they're satanic, let's use them as the scapegoat for like, you know, who we need to get rid of in order to shore up our our ranks mm -hmm. of medical doctors. Except, and, you know, just the same thing like in the uh, 1800s, you know, because abortion was illegal, uh, sorry, was legal in the United States and then illegal in the late 1800s. The American Medical Association, part of the reason I've read, according to scholars who do research on this, particularly that they were saying abortion should be banned was to get rid of midwives. Mm -hmm. Not specifically because at the time they really cared so much, you know? Right. <laughs> so just like today, like no one really wants to give any money toward like women's health care or women's, you know, uh, reproductive health or knowledge or education or even for, um, you know, adoption purposes. Or no, no, there's no money for that. There's mm -hmm. just discussion about, you know, what you can't do with your body. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, it, and it's just kind of like thinking too about this millennials old fear of the feminine specifically in like Eurocentric cultures and like white settler culture yes. is, is explains so much too. where like, if the feminine is inherently the antithesis of what we believe we should be wanting when it comes to like power and control, mm -hmm. then of course trans women would be the most dangerous. Yeah. Right. Of just kind of that. like, yeah. With right. The so rates like, of violence and fear around trans femininity. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's like, we have to take power away from the feminine and then to have someone choose that, it, you know, that's how it's seen, of course. Is, right, to have of course. someone choose yeah, that is, believe it, yeah. is like the ultimate betrayal to patriarchy. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Language was something that was heavily policed, uh, especially during, all, well, <laughs> all the time, but especially right. during like <laughs> the witch trials. And you had pointed out how um, so many of the women that were killed or prosecuted as witches were simply women who were using language free freely. They, you know, used language they wanted to. They spoke in ways that were deemed unfit for women. They dared right. to use their voice. Right. Um, and I think that's so fascinating that, like, when we're really examining the reasons that so many women were put to death or were harmed and tortured often it has nothing to do with the actual like mystical powers, but more about just like everyday power that they didn't want women having. Yeah. yeah. Very, very, very true. And the language policing, as I have in that chapter, I sort of show the parallel between, you know, the way it continues today. Again, <laughs> this is a theme that things history repeats itself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, um, the way these women back in the day were persecuted, like you said, for their language. And, it's funny, even just uh, verbal litter was like an excuse, like a woman muttering or not, you know, clearly speaking you know, when spoken to or something. I mean, it seems absurd, but there's just the, the number of times that the, the female speech came up as an idea of as, as something that would betray your uh, allegiance with Satan. Like if you weren't speaking in the right way, that means you're a witch and you're with the devil. You know, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah, that language policing, I think, is so, so interesting and so dangerous. And it's been used against so many different communities to further, like, oppress, right? And so I think it's, like, such an important point where we start noticing whose language is being policed and by whom. Yeah, and what's their intention? I mean, there's language policing on the right, on the left, in yep. the center. Sometimes I think there is, it's for good reason mm -hmm. and good cause. And other times it, it feels like definitely a tool of oppression, so... Right. Very delicate matter it there. It is, because I think you're so right. Like, being able to name language and the ways that it harms is a really important tool for working for justice and also recognizing the ways that language is used to um, remove access to resources, to deny yeah. personal truths. You know, like I think we're, we're constantly seeing now, especially the ways that women's bodies are um, being told 
they don't know truth. You know, like your pain isn't as bad as you say Mm -hmm. it is. We can't believe you or we don't believe that you mean yes or no when you say it because women aren't to be trusted. And so just kind of those like underlying beliefs that drive so many of the really terrible behaviors that then happen against us. Yeah. Yeah. Like your speech is not the same as male speech. It's it's not given the same weight. And then at the same time, what I, I think is important also is that there is so much magic in language and so much power in language that can be accessed by anyone. So I think like reclaiming language or even using language how you see fit for whether it's social justice means or certain like self-empowerment means is like so important. Psst. Here's an exclusive clip from Sunny Megatron and Ken Melvoin Berg at Explore More 2018. Oh my God, they're amazing. can't solve everything through communication. For example, if I use a single tail whip and I hit somebody in a love handle instead of on their rear end, you know, that's talking about that isn't going to make me feel better for missing the mark. I feel like a bad top because I didn't, you know, it might be the wind, the door opened up or something, or I just went a little bit too far to the right. And that's not something you can correct, but you still have to own it. And that's part of being a responsible top is figuring out there are just certain times when you can't apologize, you can't prevent what that damage was, and you may not be able to correct it, but you do need to acknowledge it. Head to exploremoresummit.com if you want to sign up to hear the rest of the talks. Okay, so language is something that I think is is an awesome place for us to just ask new questions. And slut is a word that we have, of course, discussed on the show in a mm. multitude of ways. And uh, I had Kate Lister from Horrors of Yore on. Cool. Yes, yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, talking all about um, kind of some of the history behind the term slut. And you have some great sections in your book about the word slut. So I'd love to just start with you kind of sharing your feelings around the word slut. Sure. Um, Fully aware that everyone's lived experience will color how they feel about it and whether or not they can or should use it. Uh, I personally have always just been really drawn to the word and self-identify as a slut Um, since I was like very young. I just grew up in a way that it was cool. It was, you know, dangerous. It was, uh, it's where I wanted to be, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so that carried through. And I think a lot of my friends uh, also identify that way. Like whatever their gender identity is, it's like, they're still like sluts, like band of sluts. Like it's not just uh, like cis women, of course. Um, And yeah, I think I started to look into it more seriously because it was just a fun thing for me. But it, it, the word has been weaponized and used mm-hmm. to um, oppress and hurt so many um, women in particular that, you know, I wanted to dig deeper. Um, over the past decade, I've really looked at both sides and, and some people that say, never use it. It's only going to hurt you. And, you know, going to be turned around on you you can't control it and then other people that are like everyone should use it and of course there's no one answer and I think that's the thing it's not like there's like a battle for or against I think there's a multiplicity of tactics and angles here when you think about this language but um I think that's hard for a lot of people to carry like multiple points of view in their mind so it's either yes or no bad or good you know yeah Yeah, I agree, because I think there's, like, you kind of tie it to the way that queer has been really reclaimed and taking a lot of the power back and how queer has become this really powerful, common word that is an umbrella term for people who have um, any kind of, like, non-hetero, non-cis identity. Um, And for so long, it was a word that caused tremendous harm, and so there can be so much power in reclaiming it. And then also recognizing like certain communities and certain identities, like black communities, certainly, and black women, the way that slut is leveraged against them still can cause so much harm. And so you're right, like it's complicated and people don't like that. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So yeah, for me, yes. But with the caveat that I know I would never push that on. I think that's, you know, a lot of people 
were uh, misinformed about the slut walk and they thought, oh, the point is that everyone can use the word slut as they like. Well, no, that's not really the point. Like, it's <laughs> much deeper than that. It's not just about one word. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it, it's, it's misunderstood a lot. So, yeah, I'm all for sluts and slutism and just sort of that sexual freedom, however you want to define it. But I get that sometimes that's not you know, maybe there's there's the argument that there's just too much pain in that language and maybe we need new language. So I can see both sides, but yeah. I'm still never giving up slut. So. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have some feelings around this and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Sure. What are your what are your thoughts or feelings around men who are reclaiming the term slut in solidarity? What? Who are these men? <laughs> I don't know these men. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about these men. I know some. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I think your reaction tells us a little bit about how you think. But, <laughs> you know, is it is it something that men should should be using or reclaiming? Uh, or is this a space for the people who have been harmed by it to be able to leverage it that way? Well, I think it works much better in that sense. I think it just kind of sounds silly for of certain folks to use it but I'm certainly not against it I mean I would definitely crack a smile and think it's funny (laughs) but if those folks think they're doing some serious like allyship through that then I don't know maybe you need to rethink your tactics or something (laughs) yeah that's pretty much how I feel (laughs) (laughs) so there we go there you go yeah yeah I just kind of want to put it out there because I know uh I have seen in a number of sex positive circles cis men specifically, uh, and like to be even more specific, white cis men, um, who, Mm. who are, are wanting to kind of use that term as a, as a term of power. And, and Mm. I just kind of want people to listen to, to the reactions that we're having here because there's there's something tender about that right like when you've never been the one who received systemic and like multi-generational harm from the word to to claim that word I think is very complicated (laughs) absolutely and I think even just identifying myself like I've had certain situations where someone gets the wrong idea and they think oh yeah slut means you're ready anytime I want you to be ready and like sexual assault is like that's real. Like just even by identifying with that word, even though a ton of other people do, it's still dangerous to walk around saying on the internet and in your personal life or whatever, people assume a lot of terrible things. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, there is definitely some tenderness there at the same time. Like I have a sense of humor, like that's (laughs) funny, (laughs) but also, yeah, I don't know. I mean, totally like queer men, like gay men. Yeah. Yeah. Slut slut it up. Like that's totally yours, but I don't know, like cis straight guys, slut. I think that's just funny, but you know, (laughs) prove me wrong. I don't know if I meet one of these guys sluts, like we can sit down and talk about it. And have a conversation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one of my favorite, favorite things, and this was something that uh, I did not, I had not learned at any point during all of my witchy studies back in the day. So either I was reading the wrong books or I wasn't picking up what they were putting down, but you laid it out beautifully in your book, which was um, there are some uh, folks who believe that, um, part of the imagery that we get of witches flying around on broomsticks, Mm. it comes from the broomstick as dildo and flying as a hallucinogenic lube. And so I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about this part of the research because it, boy, does it delight me. (laughs) Oh, it's, 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 it was the most fun thing to write about because, you know, some of it's so, it was very depressing and like, you know, you need to really give it that space to breathe. And this is like, oh, great. We can talk about like getting high and masturbating. Thank God. <laughs> um, or supposedly. But yeah. there, so the, the evidence is spotty. So we have some of these like extant documents from trials that say, you know, these inquisitors are going through an accused witch's home and they find a pipe. Uh, or a rod or a cooking fork and then a stash of flying ointment. Hmm. And then they, they'd even note that the, that the supposed witch would grease it up and gallop and amble through thick and thin, one of them says, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and then there's, you know, of course, all these woodcuts with the witches flying on broomsticks or cooking forks. And yeah, there's um, multiple folks that say based on these little bits of reportage from that era that indeed the midwives, herbalists, the witches would cultivate these 
sort of psychoactive agents with like Datura, Belladonna, DMT. And because if you ingested those orally, you would die, you would have to put them through another orifice. <laughs> and what else would you use to do that but a household object that you have lying around? I mean, it's the same as like using your shower head. Like, right, <laughs> you think about like moms in the 50s. What do they have, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, it's still debated, but, you know, I think the, the lore is uh, pretty great, and I really hope that it is 100% true across the board. I mean, it could have been just a few witches who were doing that, but who cares? It's, it's pretty fantastic. And, and it, it just goes to show that people are really scared about, like, women getting high and masturbating. So Right, yeah. Pleasure and drugs and total sovereignty over self is terrifying right absolutely yes (laughs) it just makes me so happy because I know one of the things that um I have seen in other like ancient literature and art was a woman I want to say it's a painting from like the 1500s but it's a woman who has crafted a strap-on out of a very crusty baguette and then like lubed it up and was penetrating another woman with her like fashioned strap-on using a baguette that is stunning which which i agree i think it's amazing like get your jollies off like ancient folks (laughs) (laughs) that's i even read some there were some um there were very few like bits of queer lore within the witch trials that that are you know written down because they probably were too weird at that team written down but there definitely was a story of a nun seducing some of her other nuns with a strap on and she got accused of witchcraft and i believe when they went to go to trial um the guys didn't get how they could be having sex without a man so they like let them free (laughs) 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 there were some like glorious bright moments in this dark spot of history i guess (laughs) bless bless your heart (laughs) yeah there's uh there's just so many interesting i don't know i love the idea of these women just like lubing up their whatever it is and going to town and then yes. telling each other about it and like here try some of this ointment you know when your husband's <laughs> gone and right yeah and just kind of this like underground of pleasure in a world that didn't want to believe women were capable of that absolutely and the way you find it enough in enough different sources I really believe it must have been sort of a, a somewhat normal practice you know yeah something else that you uh shared in the book was around the way that the Salem witch kind of frenzy that happened with the Puritans was very Mm -hmm. non-sexual in nature, uh, especially when compared to kind of the European approach to witchcraft and all of the cues that they were demons. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the sexualization of witches that you were seeing in your research around Europe versus what you found for uh, the settlers in the Americas? Absolutely. I mean, and this does go back to like Puritanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Puritans were somewhat puritanical about sex, <laughs> as it were. Um, and yeah, the European witch hunts were a lot more, of, of course, driven by that like bloody Catholic lore, you know, uh, that we don't have in the Protestant side of mm-hmm. things. Um, so yeah, like the Malleus Maleficarum, the Hammer of the Witches was, you know, there, it's like lurid, erotic fiction almost you know these these uh inquisitors were writing about how you could find a witch and what witches would do how they'd have sex with devils and you know how they would steal penises and keep them in a box and (laughs) all these like very lurid things and and then again of course women who were named as fornicators or adulteresses or midwives or anything dealing with the reproductive system or this female sexual organs those were all more likely to be um, like linked to the devil and linked to witchcraft, etc. So yeah, that was really what was going on in Europe. And then things seem to shift a bit or they just go deeper underground because we know they don't go away. But in Salem, particularly Salem was, was a lot about uh, interfamilial conflict and, and land and, and money. And of course there were young girls going into fits. And so that's not necessarily sexual. They're prepubescent. Um, but maybe there's like a level of like somewhat what they used to call like hysteria. Like you're so repressed around you that all you can do is foam at the mouth and, you know, shake around and whether they were pretending or, you know, 
part of doing a, having a game or, you know, trying to like gain some sort of power when they felt powerless is still debated. No mm. one knows for sure. But yeah, it's very interesting that there wasn't that kind of discussion of, you know, witches like dancing naked in the woods and masturbating mm-hmm. in the Americas than as there were in the European trials. Yeah, it was really interesting. Some of the one of the things that I I I thought was really juicy was when you were talking about the the witch trials that were happening in Salem. It, it's interesting when you think about the power that one suddenly gains. If you are um, having these fits, if all of a sudden you're thrashing about and you're screaming and you're frothing and then, you know, it seems as if you're possessed and everyone wants to know who did this Mm -hmm. to you and how did this happen, suddenly you have a voice and you have space and power to name others and there is no greater power than to, of course, name others and take their power away and how that was like leveraged on poorer or older or, or um, uglier women. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the main victims of the witch trials across the board is women over 40, like waning fertility. Like that's usually how the witches were, uh, like wheedled out, <laughs> like mm-hmm. who's old and not able to provide children for the community. Okay. Well, she's a witch, you know, yeah. <laughs> like who's disposable. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting. Salem is still so fascinating because there are so many takes on it and there's so much misinformation. And one of my, um, favorite reviews was from a Salem, uh, tour guide, um, and he was saying that he likes to read these books just to see, um, you know, what misinformation's in there. Because it's just so common to believe all kinds of <laughs> lies about Salem. And he was like, hey, I actually really didn't find anything in yours. Yours is, yours is actually true. I'm like, oh, thank God I did my research. But that means a lot because when even you go up there, there's different museums that have a different take. Some say, mm-hmm. some people are still saying it was like the, you know, the, the, the poisonous bread, like the, the ergot poisoning or whatever. It's, it's, mm. very, it's very interesting how many different takes on Salem still exist. Yeah. Whereas the other witch trials, everyone kind of gets it, you know? Right. And you also kind of tied something that I think is really fascinating in that, you know, you, you were talking about how Puritan men hanged their wives, their sisters, their mothers, their female mm. landowners, their healers, their sluts, their heretics, their unmarried and outspoken women, mm-hmm. basically just anybody who they wanted to eliminate or who had power or that, you know, denied them something that they wanted and how it created this public spectacle of murder that kind of set the stage for a, you know, a, a growing America and yeah. to then see that spectacle of murder go into like Jim Crow era and the mm-hmm. lynchings and now the murder of black bodies and trans women. And, and, you know, like there's kind of never been a time since, you know, white folks colonized the Americas that murder hasn't been something that's, that's kind of um, turned into a, a big communal spectacle. Absolutely. Yeah. It still goes on today in a different way. You know, the internet is our town square, right? (laughs) So yeah, it's fascinating to see that lineage of brutality uh, Mm. play out in so many different ways, which is why I think this subject is so important. It's not just about, you know, it's not just about women. It's not just about like white European women, you know, this, Mm -hmm. this is especially like witch hunts go on today around the world. Um, And that's why I think the subject's so fascinating because you can use it as an access point to talk about so many other really important issues. Yeah, agreed. And and just for for people who are listening and uh, aren't aware, you know, there are there you you quote this in the book, and some of the reviews of your book include other statistics like uh, five hundred quote unquote witches were killed in Tanzania. Um, each year and that there's these witch children in Gambia and witch camps in Ghana, 2000 people accused of witchcraft who have been murdered in Northeastern India over the last 15 years, most of whom are women, um, 600 elderly women who were killed in 2011. So like the, the witch rhetoric and the killing of women has not subsided the world over. We might look at it a little differently here in the U S absolutely. You know, worldwide women are still paying the price. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same issues going on. It's a land conflict. It's an older woman trying, you know, trying uh, to just live her life and people are just 
you know, scapegoating her for whatever issues they have. So yeah, it's the, it's the same. It's a shockingly similar yeah. uh, s- sequence of events. Yeah. Ritual is something that I love talking about and I frequently recommend to listeners who write in with a variety of questions around, um, you know, waning desire and mm. struggles with connection and even struggles with like self-care and self-trust, the power of ritual to create magical spaces where new opportunities are available. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about kind of some of the research you did about ritual and also ways that you have ritual in your life. Sure. Um, Well, as far as ritual in the book, there's not too much because I wanted to make that distinction between we're talking a lot about the witch archetype and myth and history and pop culture and politics and witchcraft. Although I interview many practitioners and I am a practitioner, I wanted that not to be centered because that's huge too. That's like, you can talk about that for 10,000 more pages. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really, although in the end section, I'd have some interviews and I have a few uh, little suggested spells and personal rituals you can do um, to increase uh, self-love or, you know, work on your sacral chakra or sensuality, etc. So there's not a ton in the book, um, but I, I did interview a lot of folks and stuff that didn't make it in were their own personal uh, how-tos for, you know, uh, having a better sex life or having more um, self-love or, mm-hmm. you know, manifesting their goals through sex magic. Um, and for me, yeah, I mean, I got this book deal through Sex Magic, I believe. Uh, <laughs> Yay! You know, it works uh, for sure. <laughs> and you don't need anybody else but yourself to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Shock Rubs. I don't know if you have uh, yes. a Shock Rub. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think ritual is so important. The write, uh, The writing ritual for me is very powerful, you know, set my space, ground myself, uh, have my sort of intention for the next hour that I'm going to write. And, you know, I think there's something so magical about like creating in, you know, all genres. So everything is a ritual, you know, it's like, it's funny people, especially in the quote unquote Western world, there's such a sacred profane dualism, like, there's ritual everywhere. It's not just at a church or a synagogue or a mosque, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, fe- I feel there's ritual in every part of my day. Magical ritual. Obviously, there's like, you know, sort of mundane rituals like brushing your teeth or something. But, you know, there's there can be magic in even the smallest things that you don't even think about because we're not taught to like see that. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's so interesting is so many of the ways that like witches, sluts, and feminists have been um, vilified over the years have been around the rituals of coming together in a space that was meant just for them or, you know, around rituals of birth and death or around rituals of like sex work and pleasure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they may not have had the language to call it a ritual, but just, you know, when women come together to talk about their collective freedom and we're talking about feminism, like that has been such a vilified thing, you know, painted as being inherently anti-man, anti-family. And so I think it's just interesting, you know, when we give ourselves the chance to have language around like intention, that's where the power is. Absolutely. I mean, the greatest times of my life, the most nourishing or with a community of like-minded women mostly. Mm-hmm. So I think, and, and of course people would be afraid of it. And you know, like the patriarchy would think it's dangerous cause it is, you know, yes. <laughs> like that's where you get your most power, like tapping into others who have dealt with similar experiences um, and sort of figuring out how to heal yourself so you can heal the community around you. So for people who are interested in learning a little bit about sex magic or maybe even trying their hand at a, at it a little bit, what are some basics that you think they can just kind of sit with and think about? Yeah. Uh, well, I will do a plug for my friend has this book out and it's a, it has a lot of awesome basics for newbies. Um, it's called Craft, How to Be a Modern Witch by Gabriella Herstick. And it's out on Penguin Books. It's awesome. Um, And that'll give you some real, like, if you want to dig a little deeper and, like, figure out, like, what, you know, color correspondences are there that'll help you or what herbal correspondences, et cetera, or, like, oils or even tarot. But um, as far as my advice, I would say 
get really basic and think about things like the space that you just take masturbation because it's harder to involve someone else. You have to have (laughs) consent. You have to make sure they're on the page, same magical page as you like that can be hard. So let's not even like go there. Think about your own time with yourself, like getting in touch with yourself, like literally physically. Um, and consecrating your space. Think about like even candles. Like why do you, I'm sure you already do something that is witchy or intentional to, you know, change your state or change your emotional, um, like palette, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's just about amplifying like what you already do and finding what works for you and what's comfortable. Because I think a lot of people feel weird just like reading about some random (laughs) correspondence or spell that someone made up like 50 (laughs) years ago and thinking, oh, that'll make everything great in my life. Like (laughs) I don't relate to, I mean, I'm not in an initiated tradition and I'm not knocking them, but for me, I never found one that resonated with me because I feel like I need to uh, practice more organically yeah. and sort of create my own magic and my own rituals. It doesn't mean I don't dip into a lot of like traditional forms, but mm-hmm. in the end, you have to decide the kind of witchcraft that's right for you. And just like you have to decide what kind of sex works for you, you know, it's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. And luckily, it's easier to do on your own than having to involve other people. <laughs> but. Yeah. You know, just the idea that pleasure is sacred and self-love is sacred and we don't get nearly enough of it because they're both so stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the power of learning our bodies and finding our pleasure and then um, doing it with intention. You know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of autonomy and sovereignty in those acts. And so there's a reason why we're taught that our genitals are gross and dirty and, and shouldn't be touched and because there's power in it. Absolutely. Yeah. They can keep us from like living our best lives by doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you just, if you're disconnected from your body, you're, it's like, there's no such thing. It's like, mind body just you know it's all one thing like let's be real here (laughs) right it's all like hormones and chemicals and blood and guts you know so (laughs) (laughs) that's my scientific view (laughs) based on my research and yeah I think um everyone's probably done a little sex magic but they just aren't really aware of it yet Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, I think anytime you you go in with that intention and that and that openness to see what happens, that's that's magic. <laughs> yep. You know, we need to conceive of that word in in new ways. It's not just mm-hmm. the kind of uh silly thing that a lot of people think of, if, especially if you're like an atheist or a skeptic or whatever. There's mm-hmm. still so much magic that you can tap into. It's not like necessarily about believing in any deities or anything outside yourself. Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you said that because I've been using that word a lot more lately, pretty intentionally. I've been doing a lot of uh, studying in the psychology of play and also uh, the ways that we manifest joy in our lives. I'm really Mm. interested in some of the movements that are happening specifically for like marginalized communities around like black joy and Mm -hmm. black men smile and... And the ways that like joy and play have been um, basically said, this isn't for adults. This is only for kids. And, and, and I think that there's magic in our joy and there's magic in our play because that's fundamentally where we are the most creative and open and connected to self and others. And I think that is magic. Yes, absolutely. There's freedom there. That's, Mm -hmm where, you know, the source of all our power lies, right? Right. Right. And I, and I think like, it's so worth pointing out that, that it's not about getting something from other or controlling other or needing to be certain about other, which is, I think, where we then get into trouble with, yes. you know, uh, men and patriarchy and colonialism is there's this like need to control, but when it's fundamentally about self and not about other really beautiful things can then start happening in community, but from a place of like connection, not like domain and control. Yeah. It's non-hierarchical. I mean, that to me is the only true witchcraft is, is non-hierarchical. Your power comes from within and from your community that you choose your chosen family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
There was this other interesting thing that you were writing about the book, which came to like capitalism and, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's just talk about capitalism and feminism and, and also all of the beautiful ways that we are now being sold on witchiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was this really interesting thing that you said that just like sparked a thought. It's an incomplete one, but I'd love to just like jam on it a little bit with you. You said, um, because mainstream economic, religious, medicinal, cultural, and political structures arguably don't offer much in the way of affordable and effective self-care. And then you went on to talk about kind of the allure of witchiness. And I was thinking about that, the ways that like government and religion and medicine and politics and culture devalue women's pain and women's health and women's bodies. And so, of course, women turn to all kinds of alternative non-scientific, like in quotes, um, you know, methods for trying to manage their stress and their pain because they don't feel seen. But then there's this interesting thing that happens with like profiting off of that, which you know, I kind of super hate Goop and Gwyneth Paltrow's company. Yeah, I'll throw, I'll throw my head in with that. Okay, yep. good. <laughs> and I think it's for this reason. Like, there's this um, shiny capitalism profiteering off of knowing that women are suffering and want these remedies. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But then it's you know, there's the other side where it's like this can't all be free because money isn't energy. Right. And I'm talking more like independent like retailers or healers or whatever. And, and I think there's such a hard there's like a delicate balance between that sort of goopy mentality (laughs) and it's just such a perfect word for it too. It It sounds exactly as I feel about it. (laughs) And then, you know, wanting to have like the people who are doing the real healing, get money for it and be compensated so they can keep doing it and spread their message, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's hard. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's complicated and it's messy and people don't like that. But like, I just want us to kind of name it because I think there's a temptation by people who now I, I love me science. I love math. I love all that like hardcore stuff. And I have to be able to hold the space for the, the possibilities, right. That maybe certain things in life will never have adequate proof, certain aspects to humanity can't be measured. And when we make fun of people, specifically, usually women or marginalized communities who rely on like earth-based traditions, Mm -hmm. there's some huge problems that happen there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's so much devaluing of that. Exactly. And so like, they should be able to make money off of these things, but how do we do it in a way that's community building and ethical and not kind of the reassertion of oppression? Absolutely. And, and not because um, there can be abusive tactics in any, mm-hmm. any form and any sort of genre um, of healing. So yeah, I mean, it's still not cool if someone has like a very serious disease and then someone is saying, Oh, I'll totally heal you with crystals. Like, I still think there is like quackery in all fields. And so skepticism is sometimes good. And then sometimes it's just disguised sexism or racism, you know? Right. Uh, So it's like, it's hard. And what works for one person won't work for another. So I think that's, it's a really interesting dilemma to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So because you had the opportunity to look at like pop culture and the pop culture of witches, which I loved so much. I love that you were talking about like the craft and the witches. Yes. Of uh-huh. uh, and also like taking a really hard look back to like the 1400s and even beyond and the ways that women and earth traditions were, you know, um, brutalized and having had all of these conversations about like witchiness and slutness and feminism what have you just kind of really learned or what's kind of settled into your bones since writing the book and having all these conversations? That, you know, this is all coming up for a reason. There's so many other books like it's similarly related. There's this, this, it's not a trend just because it's like some guy in an office decided to make it a trend. You know, mm-hmm. I think this is a real like bubbling up of a really necessary message that connects sexual freedom and like and necessarily the fight for sex workers rights and sexual expression and consent and you know really thinking about gender oppression and 
the way the gender binary has been so destructive and the way masculinity and femininity have been weaponized in different ways. And yeah, I feel like these ideas are so much more important than maybe I even thought years ago. I think I believed the hype though. This is niche weirdo stuff and I'm a niche <laughs> weirdo, but no, this is like, this is the real deal. This is big picture stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is, um, such a marginal idea that all these things are connected and important for us to think about in terms of like moving forward for the health of, of the human race. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. And I think you're so right. Like um, there's, n there's new access to information that has long been known and swirling around the edges. Yes. And I think yes. that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, one thing that stands out to me is a recent study. So we're talking here about, um, like in the book, you know, you have ideas about witches talking about the spirit of the plant or, you know, with the flying ointment, you're taking in the spirit of these hallucinogenic herbs or whatever. And, you know, to some people that sounds like crazy. And then I just saw a recent study, it was like Scientific American, about how plants were injected with sedatives or the same numbing agents that you would use during surgery. Mm -hmm. And they completely stopped moving. And then when, when it wore off, they would like begin to move again in their normal way. So there's this idea of this plant consciousness that if you mm -hmm. said that, you know, yesterday before the article came out, you're crazy. And then, okay, yeah, plant consciousness. Hello. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just knowing that there is so much in the world that can't be explained and jumping to this sort of hyper, uh, you know, rationalist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A point of view is not always the best. Obviously. I also, like you said, love science and math and like the, the, the positive approach to the world, like observable phenomenon. Yes. It's important. We can't totally like not ground ourselves in that, but there's a lot of stuff that we have known for centuries, millennia that we've either, you know, been uh, forced to ignore or it's been hidden from us. Uh, and now we're able to maybe learn more and more, like relearn these things. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And, and just, I don't know, giving people the opportunity to explore and to do so safely so that they can, you know, like what is the wisdom about our bodies and our experiences that we've been forced to deny yeah. or to silence? And what are ways that we can create community and ritual to start peeling back all of those layers and to find that innate kind of understanding of self and desire and pleasure and all the things that we were built for? Mm, yeah. um, I think there's there's terror to the systems in power for all of us to do that because it means we would start rejecting a lot of the things that have been dictated to us as truth. That's very true. Yeah. We have to be uh, constantly in a state of like panic and feeling that we're not enough to be, uh, you know, good capitalist citizens. We have to keep buying things to keep, uh, you know, our, our like psyches, uh, sort of, you know, sedated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's, it's true with all the other structural issues we have, like the more and more people find out about this stuff. And I feel like that's what's happening with young generations. And I only say that as like a person who teaches, you know, 18 year old freshmen in college and I see them and there's, there's so much more of a like bullshit detector in a way, like in, thank God for the internet. It's just done horrible things too. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like very hopeful that there is a young generation, especially with this gun control stuff that's happening. You can just see that there is a lot of calling out the bullshit more than, you know, maybe there has been in a little while. I mean, there always has been this, but like with young, young people, it's like, yeah. oh, wow, this is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting is the the way that social media helps to amplify voices that were previously silent. Like, yes. you know, if we had had young queer kids or young black kids or young Muslim kids trying to organize in the past, they wouldn't have had a way to communicate or even be seen. And so now yeah. we're having an opportunity to see that. And it's creating, I think, this ground swell of momentum, which is so beautiful and important. But it's also going to be deeply uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I feel that's why I always feel like unless I'm uncomfortable, I'm probably not really learning something. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Well, 
you said this really wonderful thing that if you're up for it, I would love for us to expand on in our Patreon chat. So listeners, let's see if Kristen's up for this. You said the words money is power. So I would love it if for our little bonus chat, we talked about sex work. Oh, would you be up for that? Sure. Absolutely. Okay, so listeners, if you're a Patreon supporter, then be sure you head over to patreon.com slash sexgetsreal because after we wrap this up, Kristen and I are going to pop over there and talk for a few minutes about sex work and witchiness and slutting it up around money because that's always so fun to (laughs) take out about. But uh, I would love it, Kristen, if you could share with everybody how they could um, find you online and grab the book and also follow along with all your adventures. Sure. So on Twitter, um, I'm Sluttist, S-L-U-T-I-S-T, which is also the name of the sex positive feminist occulty site I run. And on Instagram, I'm Kristen Corvette. uh, That's Corvette with a K, K K-R. R-I-S-T-E-N-K-O-R-V-E-T-T-E. And then uh, my website is Kristen Sole. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-O-L-L-E-E.com. And that's about it. There's that's yeah. <laughs> that's <Awesome>. my online <laughs> profile. All righty. Well, I will have links, of course, to the book and also all of Kristen's social media and sluttist so that you can check out all the yummy, slutty, occulty goodness that's out in the world that they're working on. So um, please head to the show notes and also head to Patreon to hear what's coming up next. Kristen, I want to thank you so much for geeking out with me about all things witchy and slutty and feministy. This was fun. Thank you so much for that. This was great. Awesome. To everybody listening, of course, you know, I love hearing from you. If you have any questions or stories that you want to share and potentially have featured on the show in a future episode, just go to sexgetsreal.com and use the contact form there. You can write in anonymously if you'd like. Otherwise, I will, of course, talk to you next week. This is Dawn Sarah. Bye. <laughs>